I'm going to ask that you stand up one more time. Let's all stand up one more time. For those of you that have been here on Easter morning, you know what I'm going to do. You know what we're going to do. When I say He is risen, your job is to say, He is risen indeed. Okay, you guys already know what we're doing here. All right. He is risen. He is risen indeed. One more time. He is risen. Risen indeed. Amen. Hallelujah. Now you can have a seat. And if you would, if you have your Bibles, get them out and turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 24 this morning. If you need a Bible, the guys are up with Bible in hand. I'd love to bring one so you can follow along with us. Luke 24, 13 through 35 this morning. I think we're all familiar with the Easter morning story of how Mary and the other woman came to the tomb and and found it was empty. But the passage we're going to look at this morning is is what happened after that. We're looking at a story about two men that had the fire in their lives reignited and hope restored through an encounter with the risen Lord. Luke 24, 13 through 35. And I want to point out just three things this morning if you're taking notes. Number one, hope lost. Number two, hope rekindled. And number three, hope realized. Let's begin by reading verse uh, 13 through about 24. Now behold, two of them are traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was while they conversed, and reason that Jesus drew, drew himself, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have not you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And so they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Now the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but, but him they did not see. Tell my message this morning is Easter brings hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather to celebrate really the most important day in the entire world. The day that your son, Jesus Christ, rose from the grave. The day that, that all of our sins has been forgiven, Lord. All of them had been taken upon your son upon that cross. And, and he took it upon him and, and death could not hold him. We thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for this time in your word. We pray that you speak to our hearts. We pray, Father, if there's anyone here that is yet to come into a saving knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would touch their heart, especially this morning. We thank you for this time. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With all the sadness and trauma going on in our world today, you know, it's worth noting and reflecting on the death of a very important person. One that went almost unnoticed. 
Larry LaPriest, the man who wrote The Hokey Pokey, died peacefully at age 83. The most traumatic part of the family was getting him into the coffin. You see, they put his left leg in. That's when all the trouble started. <laughs> You're singing that song in your head, aren't you? Listen, you cannot ignore the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't keep him down. Guards surrounding the tomb couldn't prevent it from happening. The stone was rolled away so the world could see that it was empty. Jesus Christ had risen from the dead just as he said he would. And because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, we have hope. Apart from Christ rising from the, from the dead, we would have no hope. We would be a miserable people. But because he did, we have hope and our hope is in God. Our hope is not in technology. That's always changing. Our, our hope is not in our military, even though we drop huge bombs called Moab, mother of all bombs. It's not in the bombs. It's not in human solutions. Our hope certainly is not in politicians because they'll let you down. In fact, don't even put your, your hope in preachers because we will disappoint you. Listen, if you knew me as much as, as I knew myself, then you wouldn't be sitting here listening to me preach today. But before you get up and leave, you know, let me say that if I knew you as well as you know yourself, you know, I wouldn't be talking to you today either. So, so we're a good match. We're on the same page here. Listen, our hope is in God. I like the old hymn that goes, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ a solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Well, our story this morning is two men that have lost hope. Two men that at one time had their hearts burning for the Lord, for Jesus, but the fire had gone out because of the events that took place. Maybe you can relate to these two men this morning. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, man, there was a time in my life when my heart was really on fire for the Lord, and I felt close to the Lord, and now that fire has gone out, it's dwindled. And on the book of Revelation, Jesus spoke to the church of Ephesus that, that, that lost its first love with Christ. They had a lot of activity going on. They had a lot of knowledge, but they had lost a passion. Maybe that's a description of your life this morning. Once you were on fire for the Lord, but today you've become distracted, maybe complacent. Maybe you were serving the Lord, involved in ministry, and now you've just been sitting on the sidelines watching as life goes by. Maybe it's gone even further. Maybe there's been uh, one disappointment after another, one failure after another, and you're really discouraged and defeated. Listen, if you're in that place this morning, let me tell you, take heart because this story is for you. Two men whose hearts were reignited as their hope restored as they encountered the risen Lord. Look now at verses 13 and 14. We read, Now behold, two of them were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So they left Jerusalem these two men, it's been three days since the crucifixion. The Lord Jesus had appeared to Mary, was told to go and tell the disciples that Jesus had risen from the dead. It's right after that that Jesus appears to these two men who were on the seven-mile journey in the direction towards Emmaus. There was a problem. They're going in the wrong direction. 
They should have stayed in Jerusalem with the other disciples or at least gone on to Galilee where Christ told them to go. But instead, they wanted to keep themselves as much distance from the, from, from the cross as possible. Reminds me of a story of a man who sees on the news a crazy driver going down the wrong side of the interstate. He phones his wife on her way home to warn her of the driver. She answers and he says, be careful, dear. Some idiot is driving down the wrong side of the interstate. His wife responds, not just one. There are hundreds driving down the wrong side of the interstate. Listen, when you have sinned, the last thing you want to do is run to God. I mean, run from God. <laughs> Let me get that straight. Let me say that again. When you have sinned, the last thing you want to do is run from God. That's the wrong direction. You need to run to God. I urge you to go to God with your troubles. Go to God with your questions. Go to God with your pain. Go to God with your complaints. The main thing is go to God. Don't run from God. So here they are on this road to Emmaus. We've read that they're talking about Jesus. They're talking about what had taken place. And as they're talking, Jesus actually shows up. Look at verses 15 and 16 through 17. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? I love this. Jesus shows up and says, hey, what's up, guys? Why so sad? And they have no idea who he is. That always takes me back to the Bugs Bunny cartoons. Every, I've shared this before. You know, Bugs Bunny is out there and Elmer Fudd is after him, you know. And, and Bugs gets right behind Elmer Fudd and says, Hey, Doc, what's up, Doc? You know, and I'm hunting rabbits. It has no clue that the rabbit is right there. Jesus is there going, Hey, what's up, guys? <laughs> Why so sad? Verse 18. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have happened there in these days? And I love Jesus' response in verse 19. He said to them, what things? <laughs> I mean, that's humorous. I mean, that is funny to me. Listen, Jesus wasn't suffering from amnesia. He knew exactly what happened. But it reminds us that Jesus loves to talk with us. He loves for me to talk to him about the things he already knows. Everything he already knows. I mean, and he knows everything about us anyway. I mean, for you parents that have kids in, in Sunday school. You know, when your kids, I mean, you love it when your kids come up after Sunday school and they tell you all what they learned and they got their little craft and, oh, look, Jesus rose from the dead. And you don't go, I've heard that story before. I mean, I don't want to hear it. No, you go, oh, yeah, this is great. Oh, yeah, this is wonderful. See, uh, you know, we love to hear our children talk about Jesus, even when we know what they're going to say. In the same way, Jesus already knows exactly what's going on in our lives. But he still loves to hear you talk to him about it. In fact, do you know that God takes note of every time we talk about him and he records it in a book? Every time. Malachi 3.16 says, The those who fear the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. Don't you love that? So every time we gather together, we have fellowship together and we start talking about the Lord Got that down, you know, talking about me, you know, this is awesome. So Jesus appears to these two disciples and asks them what's going on. They proceed to tell him how they lost all hope and what they thought Jesus would do. And that, that brings us to our first point, number one, hope lost. Look at verse 21. They tell Jesus, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. 
Indeed, besides all of this, today's the third day since these things happened. In other words, they're saying, you know, we've lost hope. Jesus didn't do what we thought he would do. I shared this last week. Many will sing praises of Jesus, of a Jesus we think will give us wealth and, and, and health and success and happiness. But oh, how our praises stop when obedience and commitment is required. When Jesus doesn't do what we think he should do. When repentance and surrender to our own will and our own, own desires is required. You see, these two men were looking for Jesus to set up his kingdom right then and there. They were looking for redemption from the Romans. And they'd been with Jesus. They had seen him, you know, take five loaves and two fish and miraculously feed 5,000 plus people. They thought, man, this is great. No one will ever hunger or starve to death again with Jesus as king. And that, man, that, that point of, of fire began to burn inside their hearts. They'd seen the blind receive sight. They've seen the, the deaf hear, the lame walk. They remembered the prophecies of Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. That the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. That the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. They had seen for themselves these things happening which made the fire within them burn even stronger. To the point where they think, man, everything's about to explode. This is it. It's going to be great. And now they're coming into Jerusalem and the crowds are lining up the streets and they're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna means save now. Now's the time to save us. Save us from the tyranny of Rome. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Yeah, save us now. These men must have thought, this is it. Fully expecting Jesus to set up his kingdom right then and there and drive out the Romans. But as quickly as the excitement rose to anoint Jesus as king, the crowd turned on him and were shouting, crucify him. And Jesus humbly submitted himself into the hands of the enemy and permitted them to nail him to a cross. These disciples must have thought, no, 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 this is not how it's supposed to go down. This is not what we were expecting. Jesus wasn't supposed to die. And no doubt, because they weren't there, they heard what took place at the cross, where people mocked Jesus and said, you know, he saved others, yet he can't save himself. Yet at any given time, Jesus could have easily saved himself. I mean, he could have, you know, opened the veil in the sky, as they shared, and, and, and hundreds, perhaps even thousands of angels are there ready to, to defend him. But he didn't do that. Why? Because he loved us too much. Those words never came. He simply cried out from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Maybe these two disciples on the road to Emmaus heard how Jesus breathed his last breath and said, it is finished. Now to Jesus, it is finished meant paid in full. I paid the price for man's sin. It's paid in full. That's what it is finished means. But to the disciples, maybe they thought, it's over. It is finished. Jesus is thinking his ministry is over. You see, Jesus did not meet their expectations. And because unbelief filled their hearts, they lost hope. You know, the capacity to hope is one of the greatest blessings God has given to mankind. God knew that life on this earth would be hard. That at times it would be tough and, and we would experience great difficulties and hard to cope with circumstances. So he gave us that capacity to hope. Hope is a, a beautiful gift from God because when times get bad, we hope they get better. When you have a, a sunrise service, you hope there'll be no rain. You know, when there's no rain, we hope it rains. When there's sickness, we hope we feel better. You know, when there's an accident, we hope for survivors. You know, when you're getting, driving down the road and the police car's behind you, you hope you don't get pulled over. 
Then you hope that the guy that's pulling you over doesn't go to your church. I mean, that's... It's a possibility. See, hope is the capacity that enables us to take the next step, to go the distance, to keep on trying, even though life is difficult. Over and over again, God's Word tells us to have hope. Psalm 39, 7, And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Or be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Psalm 31, 24. Or Proverbs 23, 18, For surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. Jeremiah 17, 7, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose hope is in the Lord. Jeremiah 29, 11, I think we all know this one, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Lamentations 3.26 It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Again, what is hope? We often think of hope as, as being you know, something uncertain, sort of like Christmas time when you go, oh, well, I hope I get what I want. I hope that I get that job. You know, I hope this happens. It has the idea of uncertainty. One simple definition of hope is the reliance on God's blessings and provision. It's the expectation of future good. It's like the story I read of a man that approached a Little League baseball game one afternoon, and he asked the boy in the dugout what the score was. The boy responded, 18 to nothing. We're behind. Boy, said the spectator, I bet you're discouraged. Well, why should I be discouraged, replied the little boy. We haven't even gotten up to bat yet. C.S. Lewis called hope the continual looking forward to the eternal world. I like that. Now, Paul ranks hope second only to love. Why? Because why? 1 Corinthians 13, hope bears all things. In other words, hope is the capacity that God has given to us to sustain us through many difficult times. And I think how tragic it is when a person becomes hopeless. When they've given up hope, there's no left, none hope left in him. See, life without hope is a tragic existence. And a life without Christ means a life without hope. And these two men, they're on the road to Emmaus. They had lost all hope. Perhaps there's some of you here this morning that are in the same condition. One time you believed in God. Perhaps you even professed Christ as your Savior, but God didn't do what you expected Him to do. And He didn't respond the way you thought He would. And unbelief had filled your heart and, you, and you've lost hope. Maybe it's some, some crisis in your life. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks and you prayed and prayed for God to save your marriage, but it ended and it ended with heartache and pain. And even though the marriage broke up because of personal choices, you blame God. God, how could you let this happen? And you blame God. Uh, you know, Maybe it didn't happen like that for you. Maybe you knew something was missing in your life and you started coming to church and it was exciting and it was great and you were learning, but then someone offended you. Someone said something that, that got on your nerves and, and, and they didn't treat you properly and now you're once again blaming God because it wasn't what you expected and you lost your hope and began to drift away. Let me say this. The reason for coming to Christ is not so that your marriage can be saved or that people will treat you better. Oftentimes, you come to Christ, they'll treat you worse. Now, the reason for coming to Christ is because the Bible says you're a lost sinner. That your sin has separated you from a holy God. And that sin has produced a void that has is, is resulted in a lack of peace in your life and a lack of hope. I want you to understand this morning, Jesus is your only hope. The only hope that any of us have is assurance that if we repent of our sins, Jesus Christ will come into our lives and give us that peace and give us that hope. 
He will give us eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Jesus didn't come to me with, and, and, and Jesus didn't say, come to me with all your, and all your problems will go away. But what He did say is that I will be there with you to pull you through any difficulties that you face. That's why we should have hope this morning. Again, you know, people outside, they have the hope in the economy. The economy's going to get better. The economy's failed. People put hope in relationships. Oh, this relationship is going to, this is going to be it. Relationships have failed. People put hope in religion. And religion has failed them. But if you put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ, He will never fail you. That brings us to our second point. Hope rekindled. Listen, Jesus drew near to these two men to rekindle and to reestablish hope. This is a very awesome thing, scene when you think about it. Out of all the people that Jesus could have come and visited, he takes time to seek out two men who have lost hope, two relatively unknown disciples. Okay, this is not like, oh, it's Peter, James, and John. I'm going to go talk to these guys. No, it's a guy named Cleopas and another guy. We don't even have his name down here. I'm going to talk to these guys. Thought, sought them out specifically. Purposely speaking to them. And maybe he's purposely seeking some of you out this morning. Speaking to your heart through his word and his spirit. And he's working on you, tugging on your heart. If you've lost hope, you've let the fire down. Let me show you how Jesus redrew them in and rekindled their hearts. Look at verse 25 and 26 and 27. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and so of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expanded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I would have loved, absolutely loved to have been in that Bible study. I mean, he starts with, with, with Moses, you know, and goes all the way through the scriptures, pointing to the Messiah suffering and dying. Maybe, you know, Genesis 22, he started there, maybe, you know, with Abraham, took his son Isaac up to Mount Moriah to offer his son for a sacrifice. And now God stopped Abraham and, and, and said God would provide himself as sacrifice, speaking of Jesus Christ. Then Jesus, then Jesus might have taken him over to the Passover. He started talking about that, how they remembered that, that God was delivering them from Egypt when he told them to, to kill a lamb and spread the blood on the, the sides of the doorpost and then and, and the top mantle there and the sign of a cross pointing to Jesus Christ. Then maybe he took him to Isaiah 53 and, 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 and Psalm 22 and Zechariah 12, all speaking about Jesus' death on the cross hundreds of years before the, the act of crucifixion was ever invented. One passage after another, one scripture after another, he told how the Messiah would suffer. And as he spoke, they began to understand why the suffering took place. But I want you to notice, it happened as he opened the word of God to them. Their eyes were open. Romans 10, 17 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. As you dig into the Word of God, your faith is increased as we apply it to our lives. And as a result, look at what happens. This brings us to our third point. Number one, hope was lost because Jesus didn't do what they expected Him to do. Number two, hope was rekindled as Jesus opened up the Scriptures to them, revealing all that He came to do. And finally, our third point, hope is restored. Look at verse 28. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indi- indicated that he would have gone farther 
But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. I love that. They did not want Jesus to leave. I mean, they held tightly on to him. They wanted him to abide with them. So that's what happens when a heart is touched uh, through Jesus Christ. You can't picture your life without him. The words that they constrained him means that they constrained him forcefully. They held on to him to stay. It's like, no, don't go. Tell us more. Tell us more. Then we read in verse 30. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. I love it. As soon as they knew who Jesus was, he was gone. Now I don't know about you, whenever I read that, I can't help but, but, but think how cool that was for Jesus. To just make these appearances and then disappear. Make the appearances and disappear. I mean, in one instance we read that he's, he's talking to Mary and didn't let her know who he was right away, but then he revealed himself to her afterwards. Then he shows up to these two guys on the road to Emmaus and they break bed to, bread together. He's gone. Then he shows back up in the upper room. Thomas isn't there yet. Shows himself to the disciples, and then he's gone, and then, and then now Thomas is back in the upper room, and now they're all around, they go, is he gonna come back? I don't know, is he gonna come back? I know he was here. Thomas is going, yeah, right, I don't believe you guys. No, no, really, really, and then all of a sudden Jesus is there. Maybe he looked at Thomas and said, hey, Thomas, peace be with you. Oh, you're here, you're here. I wonder if he appeared right behind Thomas's ear, you know. Peace be with you. <laughs> you know. I mean, I know God created us with a sense of humor, so I'm sure Jesus had one too. And he keeps on doing this all throughout the gospel record to the point where the disciples are expecting Jesus to come back at any moment. Do you get the reason why? Because he wants us to be the same way. To know that he could return at any moment. He wants us to have that hope that he could call, uh, come back and call us to himself. Now notice the result of their encounter with Jesus in verse 32. It says, And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? As he began to open the scriptures to them, we told their hearts began to burn. That flame was fanned once again. They found hope. The result of hope, look at verse 33. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. And found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that did happen on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. I love it, it says, they, they rose up that very hour. They just got to Emmaus. They saw Jesus, and, and they didn't even bother to unpack. They, they, I mean, they got up, and they had to go right back and say, Jesus is alive. Man, it changed their lives forever. Why? Because now they had hope. Their hearts were burning once again. Jesus had risen from the dead. They had a fresh start. Maybe this morning you're needing a fresh start. Maybe you need that fire rekindled in your life. Maybe you need hope. I think if we're truly honest, we we all need hope. Everyone needs hope. Because our sin soils our our conscience and, and weakens our soul. Sin ruins us and eventually destroys us. Because we live in a fallen world, at times, even as Christians, when fear overwhelms us and doubt and discouragement leads to despair. Yes, our world is cursed, but the good news is we have a risen Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. We have hope in Christ. We have hope in the promises of God. We have hope in the provision of God. 
Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, verse 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to His abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Listen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is all about a living hope. And the reason we have a living hope is because we have a Savior who lives. A Savior who we can know and have a relationship with, who came to give us life so that we can have life. A Savior who boldly proclaimed in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And he proved it by rising from the grave. No other religious leader accomplished what Jesus did. If you go to Confucius' tomb, it's occupied. You know, Buddha's tomb, occupied. Muhammad's tomb, occupied. Go to Jesus' tomb, absolutely empty. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Listen, when a man like Jesus steps out of a grave, then anything he says has to say, hey, he, he, you need to believe. I mean, he can do anything that he says he can, plain and simple. That's why we need to place our faith and hope in him and no one else and nothing else. A lot of people today have their, their misplaced their hope. Again, it's not in the political leader. It's not in their own goodness. Not in their own positive attitude. Not in a, oh, I just pull up my bootstraps and I'm going to go. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Where is your hope and assurance today? Do you have hope in yourself or is your hope in, in Jesus Christ? When I was 16 years old, my childhood sweetheart, Lisa, 15 years old, was involved in a major car accident that left her paralyzed from, from about her chest down. Unable to ever walk again. Three years later, we were married. I wanted God so desperately to heal my wife of her paralysis. Being raised Roman Catholic, I thought by doing all sorts of good works, going to church, not sinning as much as I used to sin, that, 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 uh, that he would heal Lisa. My hope was in me. My hope was what I could do. But Lisa wasn't walking. Lisa wasn't being healed. I didn't understand. And I began to lose hope. And I remember sitting in a Catholic church. No one else was in there crying out to God. Why? How come? I'm doing everything I, I thought I needed to do. And the answer didn't come right away. But it finally did come one morning as, as I was listening to the radio. And a, a man named Chuck Smith came on. And he began to open up the scriptures to me. And to show me that it's all about Jesus. And suddenly I realized that it's not about Lisa being healed. That it really wasn't about me either. Life was about Jesus Christ and what he had done for me. And I like to say I was looking for God to heal my wife and God spoke to my heart and healed my life. I think of, of where Jesus said in Luke 5.16 to the paralyzed man who was lowered to the roof wanting Jesus to heal him. Jesus said, son, your sin is forgiven you. I mean, th that was the most important healing that needed to take place, the forgiveness of sin. Now, now, Jesus did say, so that you may know that I have the power to forgive sin. I said, you rise, take up your, your bed and walk, and you are healed. And that man was healed instantly. I tell you this, I know, I know that, that Jesus is going to heal my wife 100%. Why? Because I have 100% hope in God's word. That when I'm in the presence of Almighty God, as he has said in Isaiah 35, 6, the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. Lisa's going to be leaping, and, and this dumb guy is going to be singing and singing and singing. 
I have this hope. But the greatest miracle of all is my sin was forgiven. It gave me hope. Hope of my wife being healed one day, but more than that, the hope I have in the Savior. That's the message that I got from 38 years ago, and the message loud and clear. I needed to see my sin. I needed to see my need for a Savior. I needed to repent and surrender my heart and life completely to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And once I did, I found hope. Not because of anything I have done. I tried that. But because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. Simply believed He was alive, that He could forgive me of my sin, and I turned to Him, and He changed my life and gave me hope. That's what hope does. Jesus will do the unusual to give hope to the impossible. That's why we point people to Jesus Christ. Our hope lies in a risen Savior, the power of His Word. And God can give you hope this morning if you turn to Him today. I want to close with this. A young man named Landon, that we've been praying for for almost a year now, had a, a, a bad heart, a defective heart. I think he had a, a hole in his heart. And uh, got a text last Thursday morning that there was a heart transplant available for him. Went right in, and, and uh, they removed that damaged, defective heart. Actually, the, the nurse sent my, my daughter a picture of this thing, just diseased and, and, and slowly just, just stopped beating. It was replaced with a new, strong heart, beating perfectly, no problems, no defects. Praise God. And pray for the donor's family. But here's my point. He was a young man with no hope of his heart getting any better. And God provided a new heart, strong and healthy. In the same way, we were all born with a sinful heart, a defective heart, a hole in our hearts that can only be filled and fixed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have no hope in trying to fix it ourselves. But that's why Jesus came. So that through his death and resurrection, we can be given a new heart, one that beats for him. Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things become new. Do you want a new heart this morning? Do you want hope that if you were to die today, that you would go to heaven? Then give your life to Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and, and you don't have that hope, if you don't have that relationship with Jesus, what are you waiting for? He loves you so much. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, he's the one that we read about here in the scriptures. Uh, just as he was talking to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, he's here among us as we're talking about him. And he's ready to come into your heart, ready to forgive you of your sin, ready to give you a future and a hope. But you've got to come to him on his terms, not your own. What are his terms? Repentance. Repentance and say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for living my life for myself and not for you. Sorry for the way I've treated you. God, please forgive me. And then turn from your sin. Repentance means stopping the direction you're going and turning and going the other way. If you do that, I promise you, not that all your problems will go away. Many times coming to Christ will bring you a whole new set of problems. But God will be with you. His Spirit will dwell inside of you and strengthen you and give you purpose and life and most of all hope, uh, eternity in heaven. So if you've not given your life to Him, please don't leave her without doing so. Now I want to say this also to those that are believers, those that have given their life to Christ at one point. If that fire has gone out, if it has grown dim, if it's just kind of, kind of, kind of cold, maybe this morning is the time to rededicate your life to Him. 
and recommit your life to Him. Say, Lord, use me. I want to be used by you once again. I want to come back to that, that first love relationship I had with you. If that's your desire, I want to give you that opportunity as well. Let's bow our heads and our hearts and let's pray together. Holy Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that we see how you are concerned with each one of us here in this room, in this whole world. Lord, you picked two men on the road to nowhere to come and reveal yourself to them. And Lord, you have revealed yourself to us this morning. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that's been out on the road to nowhere, Lord, that they would come to you this morning, that they would see their need for you, they would see their sin, and they would turn from it. Well, I had to bow and our eyes are closed. Is there anyone here this morning you've never given your life to Jesus Christ? This is a first-time commitment. You want to commit your life to Jesus Christ. I want to give you that opportunity first and foremost to come to Christ. If that's your desire this morning, would you raise your hand so I could pray for you this morning? This is just between you and the Lord. God loves you. He died for you. He wants to give you that hope. You want to commit your life to Him for the first time. Raise your hand. Maybe you're here and you want to rededicate your life to the Lord this morning. Maybe you've recognized that, man, I've been out doing my own thing. I haven't really given the Lord much any thought even at all. And one time I was really on fire for the Lord and really serving the Lord. And now I'm just doing my own thing and I'm empty inside. Listen, there's hope that God can touch your life and refill you and use you once again. But you've got to make that commitment to Him if that's your desire. You want to rededicate your life to the Lord? Just raise your hand so I could pray for you this morning. Anybody at all? It's just between you and the Lord. God bless you in the back. God bless you over in the corner there. Anybody else? This is just saying, Lord, I I want that fire burning in my heart again. I I want to recommit my life to you. I want to be a man of God. Bless you, ma'am. Anybody else? Loves you so very much. For those of you that have raised your hand, and even, even if you didn't, just let's just repeat this prayer after me, but you want to rededicate your life to the Lord. Repeat this prayer after me. God, I'm sorry for my sin. I turn from it today. Jesus, I want to recommit my life to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I recommit my life to you this morning. Help me to walk with you. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God will do that work in your heart. He'll give you that hope once again. We serve such a great God. Let's all stand and we'll do one last song.